Trust in God and God will make your path straight. And in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. It's an it's a interesting season that we're in. We're in Epiphany. And Epiphany is that season where we look at those aha moments we might have, where we've thought about something and we sit with God and we think about things and we try and understand things. And we go, oh, it's the penny's finally dropped. I finally got it. Aha. So that's the aha season. But then we have this second season that's surrounding us at the moment, starting off with the circumcision of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus. And we're in this season of obedience. One is to obey to be holy. And holy means giving yourself to God. So the circumcision of Jesus was about Jesus submitting to the law and saying, I am part of whatever you are doing, God the Father. And the second part of this is what we see today. It's the righteousness. It is us saying that God is going to be the gold standard in our life when it comes to the decisions we make, when it comes to the way we treat each other, when it comes to anything that we do in our community, we're going to do it with the fruits of the Holy Spirit present. We're going to care. We're going to have compassion. We're going to have self-control. We're going to discern what the Spirit is asking us to do in our life. So if any of that is an aha moment, I'm glad. Hopefully there's going to be a few aha moments. Today we read the account of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was his step into ministry. This was the time that he had decided to leave his private life and to step into ministry. When Jewish priests took up their office at the age of 30, they were washed with water. When our great high priest begins the work that he came in the world to accomplish, he is washed with water. He is publicly baptised. But Jesus had no, had no fault. Jesus was an innocent. He had no sin. He was the Son of God. So what possible reason could Jesus have had to be baptised? And this is one of the things that I kind of wanted to open up in my first, uh, in my first uh, baptism of Jesus service with you. I wanted to explore that a little bit more. Because there's someone that was without sin, he had no need for baptism. Just like last week, as someone who was part of the Godhead, who had instigated the covenant, Jesus had no reason to be circumcised. And indeed, John asked this very question in the reading. He says, well, hang on, Lord, I'm not getting this. You're here, I'm baptising you, but you're supposed to be baptising me. And this was, as it says in the Bible, to fulfil all righteousness. The, the idea that we are right in the eyes of God, that our character, our conscience, our attitude, our conduct, the words we use are all aligned with God the Father. As Isaiah wrote in his reading, righteousness is based upon, the God, upon God's standard because he is the ultimate lawgiver. Jesus was right with God and he was in relationship with God. And as part of the Godhead, he was part of the lawgiver. So Jesus fulfills all righteousness by being baptised by John. 
I was left with the thoughts, as, as I explored as to why Jesus would have been baptised, I was left with the thoughts that, yes, baptism washes away sin, but there is a first step that comes from that. And the first step is that we give up our worldliness, that we say we're going to die to something so that Jesus might live in us. So if we die to that thing, we're allowing the baptismal water to wash over us. So taking that thought, I explored the idea of what did Jesus die to? He didn't die physically at this point, but metaphorically, what did he allow himself to die to? And as I unpacked it, if he's starting his ministry, if he's moving from his private life into his public life, the thing that Jesus allows to die in the baptism is his equality with God. You see, Jesus and God were equals. They were God. One was in the other. The Father was in the Son. The Son was in the Father. There was no distinction. But there was a messianic expectation from the Jewish nation that the Messiah would come down with all the armies of heaven and destroy all the unbelievers, that all the unholy people would be destroyed. And so there's this interaction between John and Jesus based on the idea, well, you're coming as the Messiah, but you're not doing it as, as I expected. So Jesus allows that part of the expectation to die in his baptism. He allows himself to leave his equality with God at the start of his baptism and to rise as a servant to all of us, as the person who is going to die for our sins. And there's a pattern that emerges. We see that as soon as he goes out of the baptismal waters, his first journey is into the desert, where the devil tempts him to take on his messianic power, to bring his armies to crush all those that oppose him. And yet he doesn't do it. Today we see Jesus empowering John for service rather than limiting the power of heaven to himself. Jesus in, in some ways is empowering the church by allowing all to see that we are the people that are doing Jesus' work here on earth. And whilst God is with us and God will be with us and we are part of God's amazing plan to, restore, to release the kingdom of God into each and every situation, we need to prosper in our spirituality to be able to do it. We are told in the reading that all three persons of the Trinity, God the Son is manifested in flesh and is baptised by John. God the Spirit descends like a dove and lights upon him. And God the Father speaks with a voice, saying how proud he is of his Son. This is a public announcement. This is an open announcement to all who were there that all of the three, all of the three Godhead members were present at the baptism of Jesus. At the start of creation, at the beginning of creation, all three were there to say, let us make man. And in today's text, we read that the Holy Trinity comes down after the baptism, which begins Jesus' ministry, which says to all those who are around, let us save man. Let us save the people. Let us save the creation that is in front of us. 
By handing himself over into baptism, Jesus was denying his equality to God in his divinity and he was not going to call upon his divinity to interfere with one part of God's plan to save the world. So why did Jesus need to be baptised? As an example for us, to allow us to follow a righteous path that says we are going to allow something that is stopping us from allowing God's rule in our life to, to be the thing that comes first and allow that to go away. God sets a huge example. He sets the bar very high. But one of the things that we are blessed is that, of course, the Holy Spirit is with us. When the bar is set high and we are struggling, saying a prayer to the whole... I know with myself, when I struggle with moving forward in my own righteousness and saying, Lord, I know my ego's getting big, I need to let it go for a minute. The Holy Spirit's around. And I feel settled and I feel okay and I can continue on my journey discerning what God wants me to do and to allow those moments where I need to step up in the Spirit to make a point, but also when I need to step back in the Spirit to allow the, the parish and the people around me to prosper and to grow in their spirituality. That's the baptism. That is the genius part of Jesus' baptism. That you are empowered in, in Jesus' baptism to allow your ministry to rise, to flourish, to grow, and to recognise that you have an amazing part in God's plan. Not just a little part, but an amazing part. You, you have a part of your world that you are interacting with. And your words, thoughts, and what you do are vital in that. And by keeping it linked to the righteousness of God, everything you do will always be aligned with what God wants to prosper in that moment. In both the text that we read today and the one that follows, Jesus is tempted in the desert and in the desert he is asked to assume his messianic <clears throat> authority. But he doesn't. He continues to allow the Messianic authority, to be distributed amongst the apostles. Indeed, during the ministry, we see the apostles being sent out in pairs and coming back to tell Jesus all the good that had happened, but also the things that hadn't gone well. We like to tell Jesus all the great things that happened in our lives, but how often do we know that as disciples of God, we can also share the things that aren't going so well with, with him? The other thing to note in this passage is that we use the word fulfill. The disciples are never described as fulfilling righteousness. It is Jesus who fulfills the righteousness. And it is by Jesus' act of fulfilling the righteousness that we as his disciples get to practice righteousness. To sing Jesus loves me without obeying God the Father is not enough. We are to obediently and joyfully play our parts in releasing our righteousness into every part of our life and to do so with the love of the Father, with the love of Jesus, rather than having an attitude of submissive compliance and just going, well, just because God's God and I'm not, I'll just obey. No, he's calling us to have joy about it. It is a joyful expression of your discipleship that when you step out in God, you are caring for the needy, helping the poor, finding, finding help for those that might be sick, 
an amazing space to be in. When Jesus calls his disciples, it is as if it is to say, I have enjoyed obedience to the truth and now I want you to try it. I want you to have a go. And then Jesus knows that we will fail, but he wants us to have a go and to keep trying and to keep striving. Jesus was perfect, we're not. But that doesn't excuse us from trying to live out the standard of righteousness in our life. Jesus' ministry and work were never separated from his identity with God as God's beloved. But they are fleshed out through his connection to the beloved community, the one that he is going to restore and redeem, and not through his connection with the Father. The shared life of Jesus and the beloved discipleship has eternal implications, and so does our continuing work of emptying ourselves to the things that are not part of God's plan and allowing God's purpose and pleasure for our life to prosper. All the work is grounded in baptism because each of us is called by a voice of love. Each of us is recognised in our humanity as God's beloved. This is what makes our work in the kingdom possible. The truth and the promise that Jesus carries into the wilderness after his baptism and prior to the calling of the first disciples is a reminder that we came from somewhere, that we came from the eternal and we carry the hopes and longing of others in our love for those that are around us. God is never separated from his experience of loving us within our community of Christ and therefore we can never be separated from loving those around us. Baptism ties us to the eternal communion of the saints, something we get a taste of each and every time we come to the Lord's table. God's purpose and desire is for all of you to be here today, together as the beloved community of God, St Matthew's with St Linus's. We each carry the hopes of everyone around us when we pray and have fellowship with each other. We each have the hope that our parish releases the kingdom of God into our community and this is our expression of the belovedness of God in our lives. As we come together for communion today, I want you to let the, say, say, let, let the taste of love and obedience come into your soul. And I want you to savour that rather than seeing it as a, as a cost in your life. I want you to think about it as a blessing that love and obedience work together to make you a stronger person and a person who is a disciple of Christ. As we gather around the table, all the saints are with us. The saints here and the saints, the eternal saints. So let's all savour that taste of what it means to love and obey God with love as the cornerstone and devotion as our expression. The Lord be with you.